Well, it's great to, uh, great to see you all. Uh, my name's uh, Kevin, uh, one of the uh, ministers here at, uh, at church. We're going to have, uh, well, hopefully an encouraging time as we look at that passage in Ephesians. Uh, so it'd be great if you had it out there um, before you. But how about I let us in prayer again as we look at God's Word together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us in your words. We pray that we'll be a people who love to listen and that as we hear your word and as we think about it together tonight, may you shape and change us to be more like your son for the praise of your glory. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, I hope that you've uh, really enjoyed our series looking at the book of Ephesians so far. Uh, if you think right back to the beginning, we've seen some great things about what God has done for us. Right Back in chapter 1, we have received every spiritual blessing in Christ. In chapter 2, we saw that our salvation is by grace through faith and that God has brought together Jew and Gentile to make one new people, one new people of God. And so the, fir- fo- sorry, the focus of chapters 1 to 3 really are about what God has done for us in the person of Jesus. But more recently, we've been looking at the second half of the book. So chapters 4 through to, ver- sorry, chapters four through to 6 where we see how we are to respond to these things, how we are to live as Christians. So if you think back to the passage last week, well, it's pretty straightforward, right? As Christians, knowing what God has done, we are to put off sin. No longer walking as the Gentiles do with their darkened understanding, but instead, by having our minds renewed, we are to put on the new self. We're to put on godliness, we're to imitate our Father and walk in love, right? The Christian life, pretty straightforward, isn't it? Put off sin, put on godliness. Now, it's easy to understand, easy to say, the challenge is putting it into practice, right? Because it's, well, it's hard. It's hard to put off sin. It's hard to put on godliness, which is why we need to keep coming back to the pages of Scripture. And hopefully in the passage this morning, you'll see a real... Sorry, this evening, what am I saying? Anyway, hopefully you'll see this evening a real encouragement to persevere in the Christian life, to keep working hard, to put off the sin that so easily entangles and put on the godliness that God would have us live. And so we'll see there's kind of two parts of the talk, the two passages before us. The first part... Uh, Walk in the light. You can write that down on your outline if that's helpful. Uh, And that's verses 6 through to verse 14. Right, The first part, walk in the light. Verse 6 to 14. And the second part, be filled by the Spirit. Right, That's verses 15 to 21. And we'll look at that second part much more briefly at the end. Just a bit of a direction, I guess, of where we're going. So let's dive in then at verse 6. Look at me there, verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Now verse 6, verse six is pretty straightforward. Uh, it reminds us that God's judgment is coming on the disobedient, right? The disobedient, those outside of Jesus, well, they will face the wrath or the anger of God. And why is that? Well, because of the way they live, right? Paul says, because of these things, a reference to what we looked at last week, the kind of behaviours that Paul listed out, right? Sexual immorality, impurity, greed, coarse and foolish talking, 
It's because of these things the disobedient will face the wrath or the anger of God. But do you notice how Paul starts the verse in verse 6? He says, let no one deceive you. Right? It seems back in the first century, I think true of our context today, there were people who will try and deceive you, who will say that God's judgment will not come on the disobedience. Right? People who say, well, well, God is love. Surely things will work out in the end. Those who say that sin is not a big deal. And those who say, well, there is no God, no one to hold us to account. But we cannot be deceived by such empty words. The scriptures are clear. No, God will hold us to account. And because of our sin, all of us deserve God's judgment. Right? Without Jesus, we too would be among the disobedient. And we too would deserve to face the wrath or the anger of God. But having reminded us of the reality of God's judgment, do you see the implication that Paul draws out in verse 7? Look there, verse 7. Having reminded us of God's judgment, well, verse 7, therefore, do not become their partners. This is a warning to these Christian believers not to be partners with the disobedient, not to get caught up with the sin that surrounds them. And you can see how it ties in with that kind of first half of the Christian life. It is encouraging them to put off sin, particularly the behaviours of those around them. But if that connects with the kind of one half of the Christian life, putting off sin, he now looks at the other side of the coin, right? We are to put on godliness. Uh, Look there at uh, verse 8 with me. Verse 8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now the key to uh, understand verse 8 is to notice those three words that come to us in the middle of the verse, right? The three words, in the Lord. It's a reminder that it's only as we're joined to Jesus, that is how we move from being in the darkness to being in the light. So it's not as if we have to sort of become the light by ourselves, by living a, a good life or a righteous life or a life of truth. No, the only way we can move from being in the darkness to being in the light is by being joined to Jesus, right? By being found in him. And in fact, if you have your eyes open for this, you see this language all through the book of Ephesians, right? Time and time again, we see these things, these spiritual blessings come to us in Christ, in Jesus, in the Lord, in him. It's a reminder that it's only as we're joined to him that we can receive these blessings that God will give us. And this offer, this offer of being the light is for anyone, right? Anyone who would come to Jesus and be joined to him. But then do you notice the implication, right? We were darkness, now we are light in the Lord. And so, verse 8 again, we are to walk as children of light. The encouragement here for these believers is to be who you are to be the kind of people that God has made you to be, to recognize that you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, and so live in response to this. Walk as children of light. Imitate God as our Father. Live in a way that is pleasing to Him. 
But this is in response to what God has done, right? It's in response to knowing that we are light in the Lord. And you see that again, I think, in verse 9, as Paul spells out what it means to walk as children of light. Look there, verse 9. He says, for the fruit of the light, right? Notice it's a response to being in light. The fruit of the light results in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. This is what it is to imitate our Father, to walk as children of light, to let these things characterize our life. But it's really important as we look at those three words that Paul uses there, to understand them in the way that God intends us to. Right? So if you look out on the world, if you do a Google search, what is good, what is righteous, what is truth, right? you'll have lots of different messages. But no, for us as the people of God, as we want to live a life that is good and righteous and true, we want to be concerned with what God thinks about those things. Right, so verse 10, we need to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And so this little section, then verses 8, 9 and 10, well, it's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Recognize that you were darkness, but now because of God's grace, as we're joined to Jesus, now we are light in the Lord. And so we, to, we are to be who we are. We are to walk as children of light and we're to put on godliness to live in a way that is pleasing to god so so far paul then has encouraged us to put off sin to put on godliness and now he comes back to sin again in verse 11 right so look there verse 11 with me verse 11 and 12 don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness but instead expose them for it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret so you can see verse 11, the first half, pretty straightforward, right? Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness. Don't get caught up in the sin of this world. You know, very similar to verse 7, don't be partners with the disobedient. But you can see Paul adds here something extra, right? Verse 11, don't participate in those things, but instead expose them. But what does he mean by that? What does he mean to expose these things well the first thing to notice as we try and understand this verse is that we are to expose the fruitless works of darkness right the emphasis is to expose those particular behaviors that we see in the world around us and the way that we expose them is by recognizing that they are of the darkness right by seeing that they are fruitless that they are works of darkness that before god they are shameful. But the second thing to see in verse 11 is, is the reason that we expose them, first and foremost, is for the benefit of the Christian community. Right? Rather than, well, primarily about pointing the finger outside of the church, it's about warning Christians within the church that these things are fruitless works of darkness so that we would not participate in them, right? What it means for us as Christians is we need to be really clear about the kinds of behaviours that we see in our world and to be clear on which ones of those belong to the darkness. And so we should not participate in them. And so for us as Christians, we need to be clear. Well, what are these fruitless works of darkness? 
according to God's standard. Now, I think it's worth saying, this is not an easy thing to do, right? Maybe it's just me, but I'd much rather talk about the positive. I don't know if it's the same for you, right? I'd rather talk about verse 9, you know, goodness, righteousness and truth. That's the kind of things that people love to hear, right? The positive things. I don't really want to talk about the the shameful things that are done out, uh, done in our world. Right? I'd much rather ignore them. Right? They say that, well, the ignorance is bliss. Right? We can just ignore the world around us. But see, what we have to see is that attitude is both foolish and naive. It's foolish because, well, we underestimate the influence that the world has upon us and the real danger that the world presents for us. See, do you notice two times in this passage, Paul has warned these Christians, right? Verse 7, don't be partners with the disobedient. Verse 11, don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness. Paul is concerned for these Christian believers that they would get caught up in the sinful actions in the world around us. And for us living in the 21st century, we must not underestimate the way that the world influences us and shapes us. See, the messages that the world brings to us, they're all around us. They are the air that we breathe. And so we must be on guard against the danger that is before us. See, for us as Christians, we cannot escape the world, right? We find ourselves in the world, in the culture. We cannot escape it. We cannot ignore it. But what we must do instead is we must recognize it. Recognize the kinds of behaviors that are set against God so that we might better resist them. That we might better put off sin and put on godliness. And part of what this passage encourages us is to be proactive in identifying the kind of sinful behavior that surrounds us. Right, listen to these words of Jesus in John chapter 3. He says, The light has come into the world. Right, a reference to himself, the true light. The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. See, the reality we have to come to terms with is that our world is in darkness. The world around us, our culture, has a very different understanding of what is good of what is just, of what is true. Our world, our culture has a very different understanding of what is shameful, what are fruitless works. And we have to see that this is the world that surrounds us. And so we must be on guard against its influence. And so as we recognize the dangers, we recognize the context with which we live, what are we to do in light of these challenges? Well, verse 13 and 14, we must come to the light. Look there, verse 13. Everything exposed by the light is made clear, for what makes everything clear is light. Now, I think Paul here is drawing on the metaphor of light and darkness and making a fairly obvious point, right? If you want to expose things that are in the dark, what do you do? Well, you shine a light, right? pretty straightforward, right? You get out a torch, you shine it in the darkness, and then you'll be able to see. But it's worth asking in verses 13 and 14, I mean, what is this light that Paul is speaking about? 
Or maybe a better question, who is this light? And what we see is that, well, first and foremost, the light is is Jesus. He is the light of the world. And I think this is confirmed for us in the second half of verse 14. So look with me there again at verse 14. Now, it's worth saying, actually, verse 14 is a bit of a, uh, a tricky verse to understand, right? Halfway through, we see, therefore, it is said. And you would expect now the apostle to quote from, from the Old Testament, right? He would say it's been said in the past, in the pages of Scripture, right? And so you'd expect to find in the Old Testament these words, get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead, and the Messiah will shine on you. The problem is, well, you won't find those words in the Old Testament, right? Which is a bit of a surprise to us. So what's going on in this first? Well, if you notice there's a little footnote at the bottom of your Bible, a suggestion that perhaps these words that Paul uses are an early Christian hymn or a poem, something you know, well known to the Ephesian Christians. So that's why he refers to it. And that's, and that's possible, right? Now, we don't have any evidence of that uh, hymn being written, Maybe it's been lost to the pages of Scripture, but, but it's possible, right? So that's one option. Paul is quoting this uh, well-known Christian hymn. The other option is that Paul is actually quoting the Old Testament here, but rather than the exact words, he's kind of, kind of quoting the vibe, right? And so he's made up this poem for himself, except not really, not really made it up, kind of put it together from various teachings in the Old Testament, right? So he read isaiah chapter 60 before and you see those themes right the world is in darkness and the light has come so two options then maybe a christian early christian hymn maybe paul's just kind of made up this poem for himself drawing on the themes of the old testament but either way actually the the point that i really want to make is is quite simple actually which comes at the end where he says this he says and the messiah will shine on you right he's saying the light the one that shines is the Messiah, right? Is Jesus. He is the light of the world. And so if you want to know what is good, if you want to know what is bad, what kinds of behaviors, what kind of life, well, we bring them under the light. We should consider what does Jesus think about these things. So I want to give you some, uh, I want to give you some homework, right? Okay, for you to do... Uh, during the week ahead, what I want you to do is I want you to think of a time where you engage with something of the world, right? And there's lots of different examples. I mean, we live in the world. Could be uh, you watch a movie. Could be you watch uh, a TV show. Could be you look up Facebook. Could be you have a conversation. Could be you have uh, you look at an ad. Right? There's lots of different things because the reality is, well, the world is always around us, right? This is the world that we live in. But I want you to think of one example in particular, and I want you to think to yourself and think, what does it communicate about the kind of good life, right? What does it say is good? What does it say is right? What does it say is true? What is the message that it's trying to communicate to you? On the flip side, what does it say is bad? What does it say is shameful? What does it say is fruitless? Right, so that's the first part of your homework, to think of some aspect of our world and try and identify, well, what is the way that it tries to influence you? What is the way that it tries to shape you? 
But in the second part of the homework is to think, well, how does that compare to what Jesus thinks? Right? To bring those things under the light. To ask yourself, well, would, would Jesus agree? Would he say the same things? And if not, why not? Right now, that's, a, that's your homework, right? Now, it's kind of a, you could do that by yourself. That would be fine. But these things are almost always much better with a friend, aren't they, right? So it's a good thing to talk about together. And in fact, particularly if you, if you are a parent or if you're involved in children's ministry, I think this is a really great thing for us to chat to, to the young people in our church, right? See, the thing is, our young people are engaged in the world, and we cannot protect them from that. Or we cannot insulate that from them. I mean, when our kids, well, sorry, when my kids, when they were first born, they were little, very small, little cute, right? You hold them very close to you. But the reality is, is that kids grow up, don't they? They go to school. They go out into the world. God willing, one day they move out of your home. <laughs> right? They go out into our world. We cannot insulate children from the influences of the world. But what we can do is we can help identify the way that the world shapes them and we can encourage them to resist it. So a great thing to do is to be able to watch the things that our young people watch, to read the things that they read and to help them discern what are the influences of the world around them and how might they resist those things. But of course, it's not just children that are impressionable by the world it is all of us. It's really important for us as the people of God, as we meet together, to encourage one another in this. Right? So the next time you're talking to a friend after church, you know, say, hey, how was your week? It was good. What did you do? Oh, I watched a movie, right? Now at this point you could have a nice, pleasant, friendly conversation, you know, what was the movie about? Blah 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 blah. But what a great opportunity to have a more significant conversation, to say, hey, well, what did you think the, the movie was trying to communicate? What was it trying to say is, is good? What was it trying to say is righteous? What was it trying to, trying to say is true? What was it trying to say is bad? What was it trying to say is shameful and fruitless? And then to go one step further and say, well, what would Jesus think about these things? But of course, if we're going to do that, if we want to bring these things under the light, we... We need to know what Jesus thinks, right? See, in light of this discussion, it's, I mean, it's a bit of a no-brainer, isn't it? We want to be people who are immersed in God's Word, right? We want to know what God thinks, and the way we do it, well, is, is by coming to the Bible, right? Being committed to reading the pages of the Scriptures for ourselves. And so it's worth just asking yourself that question. Do you know what God thinks, Right? Are you committed to reading the pages of his word? But I think maybe a more searching question is, do you really care what Jesus thinks? See, when it comes to knowing what is good, what is bad, what is righteous, what is false, whose opinion really matters to you the most? Are you really seeking to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord? Well, before we leave this section of the passage, just one other little thing I think is worth pointing out for us. Right now, I said earlier, I think the passage is first and foremost aimed at the Christian community. 
right? It's about helping us see the influence, the dangers of our world so that we would not be partners with the disobedience, so we would not participate in the fruitless works of darkness, right? The first and foremost, it's about uh, the Christian community. But the reality is, as we live in the world, well, there'll be times where this conversation comes up with others, right? Those who are not yet Christians. As we talk about, well, what is good? What is bad? And I think at that moment, this, this passage really helps us to see our goal in this conversation. See, our goal, first and foremost, is to bring them to the light. We want them to see who Jesus is. Because it's only as they know him that everything will become clear. Well, so far that in that first passage we've seen, well, we were darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. So we are to be who we are. We are to walk as children of light. And we are not to participate in the shameless works of darkness. Right? Pretty straightforward, pretty easy to say. To say, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. But what's the challenge? Putting it into practice. Right? We find it hard to put off sin. We find it hard to put on godliness. Which is why we really need to press on to the second passage uh, that we're looking at tonight, right? Verses 15 to 21. Now, we're going to look at this much more briefly, okay? Unfortunately, we don't have time to uh, look at it in detail, but hopefully you'll have another look in your uh, gospel team, or perhaps you have already. But there's just one thing I really want to draw out for us, particularly as we reflect on the weight of what we've seen in the first passage. And that is to see the incredible gift of what God has given us in the spirit so just skip down to verse 18 with me for a minute verse 18 and don't get drunk with wine which leads to reckless actions but be filled by the spirit now this is one of these verses that kind of raises the tension in the christian life right See, this is not the first time that paul has spoken about the spirit in ephesians right right back chapter 1 He says, well, as Christians, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, right? So if you are a Christian, then you have God's Holy Spirit, right? That's something we know to be true, we can be confident in. And yet, chapter 5 says, well, there's this encouragement to be filled by the Spirit. But again, we see that language of filled, we've already seen that in Ephesians. So right back in chapter 1, Paul says, well, the church, the body of Christ, is the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. And yet, having said that, having said we are the fullness, well, chapter 3, then he prays that we would be filled, right? We would be filled with all the fullness of God. In chapter 5, again, we see this encouragement to be filled by the Spirit. And it's a reminder of this kind of tension that we have in the Christian life. See, on one hand, as Christians, we have everything. We have every spiritual blessing. We can be perfectly content in what God has given us. We can find great joy in that. And yet, on the other hand, we see this encouragement to be filled by God's Spirit, to keep working hard at transforming our life that we might live to the praise of His glory. Because what we see in this passage is that the work of the Spirit that Paul is speaking about, what it means to be filled by the Spirit, is to see our life transformed. 
And we see that in the, in the verses that follow, right? He says, this encouragement, be filled by the Spirit. And then we see the result of that, what that looks like in these four things he says in verses 19 through to verse 21, right? So what does it look like to be filled by the Spirit? Well, number one, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual, sorry, spiritual songs. Number two, singing and making music from the heart to your Lord. Number three, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And number four, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, I think it'd be really interesting to spend more time looking at each of those in detail. Great thing to do. Uh, Unfortunately, we won't have time for that uh, in our time together. But what I hope you see is that each of those four things that Paul talks about, well, they're all aspects of the Christian life. And we see then to be filled by the Spirit is to see our life transformed, that we would show those kinds of things in our Christian life. And you can notice there's kind of, you know, there's two themes, right? Number one, number four are about our relationship to one another, right? We're to speak the truth. We're to speak one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And number four, we're to submit to one another in the fear of Christ, Right? Part of being filled by the Spirit affects the way that we relate to others. And we'll be thinking about this actually in the next couple of weeks as we continue through Ephesians. But it also affects our attitude to God. Right, Number two, number three, well, that we would sing and make music from the heart to the Lord. That we would genuinely praise God for all that He has done. And number three, that we would give thanks to Him always for everything that He has done for us. So hopefully you can see, as we just look very briefly at those things, that they're aspects of the ordinary, everyday Christian life. Right now, they raise the bar for us of what it looks like to live in this way, but they affect our life as Christians. And the key thing to see as we, as we see these, sorry, as we reflect on these things, as we try to show the kinds of things in verses 19, 20, and 21, as we seek to put off sin, as we seek to put on godliness is that God has not left us alone in this, but he has given us the gift of his spirit. It's by the spirit that he transforms us to live in a way that is pleasing to him. And this is meant to be a real refreshment to us, a real encouragement to us. As we find the Christian life a struggle, as we find it hard to put off the sin that easily entangles as we find it hard to walk as children of light in a world of darkness, as we find it hard to put on the kinds of behaviours that Paul writes there in verses 19, 20 and 21, we can know that God has not left us alone in this. He has given us the gift of his Spirit. And as we reflect on just how, how wonderful this is, how gracious is our Father, well, it seems a very appropriate thing to do would be to, or to give thanks, right? To give thanks to God, our Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So how about I lead us in prayer now? Our Father in heaven, I will give you thanks for every good thing that you give us. We thank you that, that we who were darkness, that you have joined us to your Son, the Lord Jesus, that we are light in the Lord. 
Father, we thank you for your incredible and grace and kindness to us. Help us to delight in all that you have done for us in Jesus. And in response to this, help us to walk then as children of light. Help us to imitate you, our Father, and to walk in goodness, righteousness and truth. Father, we pray that you would guard us against the influence of our world. May we not be partners with the disobedience. May we not participate in the fruitless works of darkness. Father, may we put off the sin that so easily entangles us. But instead, by your Spirit, may you transform us. Transform us to live as children of light. Help us to live lives that are pleasing to you for the praise of your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.